it's our show, Christy. We can do whatever we want. Let's show them how to do life. Oh, boy. Here it comes. It's like pandemonium, Heather. Okay, so I was thinking. She said what? I think I got it figured out. This is how this to do is life. how to do life. <laughs> I was born for this. I was born for this. I have seen the life. Hey, pretties, it's Chrissy. And it's Heather. And here's producer John. To hype the crowd. Just a quick warning. How to do life with Chrissy and Heather contains elements of real life, nostalgia, silliness, deep thinking, and other nonsense and whatnot. If you are adverse to any of these ingredients, this show may not be for you. So be sure to talk to your doctor and all your friends about how to do life. Let's get into it. Hey, Heather. Hey. Welcome back after Halloween. Woo-hoo. What a fun time, right? It was fun. I um, am going to open with a little bit of housekeeping. Housekeeping. Come back later, please. Housekeeping. Comments are still rolling in from the 100th episode. <laughs> and last week after we recorded, something really cool happened yeah? that I wanted to talk about on the air. We talked about it on our page a little bit already, but I wanted to talk about what happened on the air. Uh, I wanted to talk about what happened when we left here. I was driving home. Oh, and, yeah. Yes. So um, I was out of my car. I was walking. Okay. But a car was driving by slowly. A guy was in it with his windows down. And he was laughing at what he was listening to on the radio. <laughs> and I kind of, you know, tilted my head a little bit, perked up my ear. You know, I wanted to know what he was enjoying so much. And I was like, is, is, is that me? Is that my voice? And I, you know, tilted my head the other way. I'm trying to really get it. Uh, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get up on this. And then I hear Brian. Uh, I heard Brian start talking, and it was the hundredth episode. That is so cool. It was the coolest. It was the coolest thing that you know I got to witness someone enjoying what we do. Somebody that was not somebody that we told to listen to the show. Yeah, that, like, like just a stranger <laughs> driving through Tallahassee, happy about what we were making, and that, that was so cool. I could not wipe the grin off my face after you texted. Yeah, that wasn't that great? Because it was like, wow. Somebody likes our show. One of the other things that I thought was fun about that episode, um, did you see our loyal listener, Christy, um, her comment on our uh, on our How to Do Life page? Mm-hmm. She said that she was walking in her neighborhood. Oh, this made me laugh. Christy, you really made me laugh. This was wonderful. She said she was walking through her neighborhood and she was listening to the episode and she was answering the quiz questions at the <laughs> end. And she said that she was yelling aloud, dick pic, dick pic. <laughs> They got dick pics. Oh, no, we and, didn't. Uh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> we funny. did actually. That was the answer, you know. Like, but but the uh, but our our people in studio didn't get it. But Christy <laughs> yelled it loudly um, for her neighborhood <laughs> to know the answer, which I thought was just fantastic. Well, I hope that it was a neighborhood that um, that would be receptive. <laughs> dick pic, something like that. <laughs> you never know. I mean, some neighborhoods will be all about it, and some are, you know, you know who knows not. Um, I also have, I'm going to give a little shout out to our friend Paula Kiger who came yeah. in here on that. Actually, we commented on that on the 100th episode too. That was one of our questions was what condition did she have? And it was face blindness. Mm-hmm. I have a face blindness story to tell you today. Yeah. What happened? You're not going to, I must, I might be more face blind than Paula. Paula, what? I feel your pain because let me tell you what happened to me. Um, Friday night, I went to dinner in my neighborhood at the normal place that I go to dinner in my neighborhood. There were a lot of people there. There's a live band every Friday night. 
and I looked um, about three tables over from me. We're outside. It's kind of dark, but I looked about three tables over, and I see my friend Hana. Okay. Um, she's one of my best friends. Hana and I went on a cruise together. We slept in the same room yeah. on this cruise ship, a room smaller than this studio by far. <laughs> we have spent a lot of time together. She is one of my best friends. And I look over, and I see Hana three tables over, and I say to my companion, Hana's here. Uh-huh. And my companion turns and goes, I don't think that's her. And that's all it took for me to, oh, I guess it's not. I guess I got it wrong. Um, and I'm looking at, and so I start looking at the people that she's with. Uh-huh. And she was with her mother and her boyfriend, um, and I didn't recognize either of them. I had never met her mom before. I hadn't seen her boyfriend in a long time. So I didn't recognize the people she was with. And uh-huh. I'm like, gosh, it must not be her. Like, so I doubt myself that it's her. And then I also thought to myself, once I was up at this same restaurant and I saw a woman up there that I thought was her and I texted her and said, hey, were, were you just up here a minute ago? And she was like, no, I wasn't. And I was like, oh, my gosh, a girl who looked just like you was. So then I decide that the girl three tables over must not be my friend. It must be, you know, the doppelganger. Right. right. It, mm-hmm. it must be her. And um, I'm like. God, it really looks like my friend, though. It really looks like my friend. And my companion's like, I don't know. I don't think so. And I'm like, I'm going to get up and walk by okay, um, to, to see. So I get up and I walk close to the table and I look my friend dead in the face and I go, hi. And she's like, hey. But she wasn't like super warm like we would normally right, greet each yeah. other. And she told me later that she wasn't super warm because I had told her I wasn't feeling super well earlier. And so she was like, she didn't oh. know if she should get up and hug me or what she should do. So I just kind of waved at her and then I walked away. I'm like, it must not be her. You know, like this absolutely must not be my friend. So all night we're there for like two hours and I keep staring at this girl and I'm like, gosh, she looks just like my friend, but I guess it's not my friend. And then finally I'm walking inside because we were at an outdoor table and I walk inside like I'm leaving to go to my car and she's inside too and we're in the bright light and we're standing right next to each other and she goes, do you not know who I am? Oh, weird. I Absolutely. I started like, and, and let me tell you, I gaffed again. Not only did I not believe this was my friend all night, then she introduces me to her mother, uh-huh. and I assume that her boyfriend is her father. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, oh, and is this your dad? Oh, no. And she's like, <laughs> no. it's my boyfriend, the same boyfriend I've had for like a year and a half. You know, like, Yeah, so, it, oh, Heather. So, there's that. That sounds really confusing. <laughs> like, it, it would be very odd to, to have... To be looking at somebody who you feel like you know, but to be told by the other people that you're with that it's not that person. Right. Uh-huh. And then it throws everything into question. It, it did. It, and it was not like, she was like, why didn't they think it was me? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, because they've only met her a few times. So I, why, why I are they the friend. authority? But because I have such a bad history with right. faces, I just assume that the other people, you know, because I won't recognize my neighbor when I'm out. Right. You know what I mean? So I just assume that the people that I'm with are right and that I'm I assumed I was wrong it was so easy to sway me off of my own 
you know, opinion. Hmm. And then this weird greeting and this weird, you know, like, yeah. And we ended up the next day, like, texting about it forever and, like, laughing, you know, like, <laughs> it, it was, it was fine. But was it ever awkward and super messed up? Super, super messed up. So, Hannah, I'm sorry. I know who you are. I love you. You are one of my best friends. It's just apparently I don't know what your face looks like. And I was even getting into like facial structure, like with the people that I was with. I was like, you guys, those are her eyebrows. Like, and they're like, no, I don't think that's her. And that's all it took. Like, there was no, no other, like, well, here's why it's not her or, you know, that girl. Like, so later she's like, well, I'm glad I look like myself. I'm glad that you thought you knew who I was. Literally a you just very, very good friend of mine who I have spent a lot of time with, who I have traveled with, who is truly my friend. And I decided it wasn't her and didn't talk to her all night. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, she's your good friend and she knows that. Yeah, um, she's like, it's just this is very bizarre. And I'm like, this is very bizarre. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, today is um, our first Book Club Review Day. Woohoo! Yes. I have a little bit of a confession. Ooh. It's time for a true confession. You are forgiven, my child. Bless her heart. Um, I have read a portion of the book, but I'm not completely ready to prepare for this conversation. Yeah, and I asked you if you wanted me to hold it for a week, and you were like, nah. I know, I because I was embracing the gift of imperfection. That's good, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like that you did that. I like that you did that. Well, um, this book, honestly, isn't a book with a... It's not like a, like a storybook. It's more of a you know self-discovery kind of book. So there's not... I mean, we're, we're going to talk through some of the things that I really like in it, and we're going to talk through you know your impressions as far as you've gotten. It looks like you are roughly more than a... It's about a third... A third about a third through yeah. yes and i'm is, enjoying it yeah and it's a quick read and it's good and i'm glad you're enjoying it because i know that you are skeptical you made the the rotten face when i told you this was going to be our first book <laughs> i'm not a huge Brene brown fan um i find myself rolling my eyes a lot and probably because i work in this area you're jelly and i am mm-hmm. and and i know once i was um reading and having to like um, begrudgingly admit that I was enjoying the book, mm-hmm. I recognized that it was because I feel a sense of territorialism about things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, there's definitely a level of, well, I mean, this is straight from like every single um, class or training or textbook <laughs> on like how to do this yes um so but i really am enjoying the stories and her personal experiences that led to um you know some of the vulnerable situations that she has had Mm -hmm. and i am enjoying the book i'm very glad that you are enjoying the book the first words printed in the preface are owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we will ever do and that's pretty much just sums up the entire book here, the entire thing that we're doing, right? It's about, dudes, learn how to like yourself, you know? Learn how to like yourself. What? I'm laughing because I remember when you told me that, because when I, I was buying the book and I mm-hmm. took a picture, I thought, well, this doesn't look like Chrissy's copy. Yes, so different covers. Yeah, I sent mm-hmm. a picture and I was like, is this right? Because it doesn't look like yours. And you said, yeah, that's right. The first words are owning our story. So I had to get to page, I had to go through 
the 10th anniversary note. <laughs> oh, I don't have that at I all. I had to go through. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I have the right one because I'm not seeing the words owning our story. And then I get to the preface and I read my first words that I read in the preface are once you see a pattern, you can't unsee it, which right away I was like, well, duh, I tell that to people all the time. <laughs> You can't not notice what you've just been aware of. Once you once you see it, you can't not see it anymore. That's why awareness is the first step. Oh my gosh, I'm going to pick books like this all the time just for your sassy attitude. <laughs> but now when you read that, I realized there was a sentence that I didn't see. It's hovering above the paragraph mm-hmm. on the page and you just skipped I you, skipped right over that. You skipped that? I skipped right over How it. How do you skip words on a page? I don't know, but my eyes didn't see it until you read it. Huh. Like I just went tri- straight to the the sentence the first sentence of the text. Ah, I gotcha. And so I wonder like what that I wonder what else I've missed. <laughs> I don't know. There I don't know what else you've missed. Winning lottery numbers there <laughs> and I just skipped right over it. Like my eyes didn't even see it. Interesting. So this book um in what you've read so far, in the first third, what do you what, what's the general? Um... Well, I do agree with the sentence that you just read: owning our story and loving ourselves through the process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. And so far, what I've read really does underscore that mm-hmm. because it is very. Uh, it takes uh, it takes bravery to allow yourself to evolve through time and know that you are going to do things wrong and i don't like to use the word wrong but you're going to do things in a way that you might not feel completely confident whether you're doing it the best way Mm -hmm. but it's going to be the way that you do it and you have to i think it takes a certain level of trust in your ability to recover from anything that you do Right. And actually, like, um, so her background, you know, in writing this book was she was a shame researcher for mm-hmm. a number of years. And so I opened up the section on shame and shame resilience. And she says, here's some things we need to know about shame. First of all, we all have it. Mm-hmm. And we talked on a previous episode. You and I are like, we don't have shame. We don't have shame. <laughs> but then when you get into perfectionism and shame being paired together, those things go together. So shame is something that we all have. We are all afraid to talk about shame. Mm-hmm. And the less we talk about it, the more control it has over our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are really true. And shame, basically, she defines it as the fear of being unlovable. It's the total opposite of owning our story and feeling worthy. In fact, the definition of shame that she developed for her research is shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I, I think that that, you know, like that's the flip side of bravery. You know, that's what that's what keeps us quiet and keeps us silent is because some somewhere deep inside of us, we're like, God, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't deserve to have an opinion on this or maybe I don't deserve to, you know, to voice this or maybe I've made some bad choices in the past. And, you know, they're still going to be held against me here in the in the present day. She tells a story here, uh, which I think is really cool. Um, she has another book called. I thought it was just me. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have moments like that. And that's really where, you know, shame comes from. You think it's just you Mm -hmm. and you're the only person who's made this mistake. And you're the only person who, you know, whenever we, 
whenever we feel shame, we feel isolation as well, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that that's that part about, you know, the less we talk about it, the more control it has over our lives, because that's what keeps us in the classroom. We don't know what's going on. And we don't want to raise our hand and say, I'm not sure what's going on, even though if we did so, eight or 10 other kids in the class probably don't know either. But we feel like it's only me. This is only me. And she tells this story of a neighbor. She says um, a woman is out in her front yard and she is talking to her neighbor and she decides to work up the courage to tell her neighbor that she's a recovering alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And her neighbor says to her, well, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with my kids playing at your house anymore. Oh, wow. And this woman, though, she goes a step further with her bravery. And she says, well, they've played over here for two years, and I've been sober for 20 years. I'm not any different than I was 10 minutes ago. So why are you? Yeah. You know? And Wow. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good stuff. <laughs> That's pretty good stuff. I mean, and... I think that we all get really stuck sometimes in this, like, oh, oh, gosh, you know, like, if I share this, if I share this. And I think that you and I have a lot of experiences where we share something and we get really positive feedback. We get somebody saying, I'm so glad you said that because me too. And how hard for somebody, like, you open up and you share and it's not well received. Yeah. And you're told, well, you probably shouldn't have done it that way. Well, you it, I don't think I like you anymore because of that. Gosh, what a, you know, like, and that could have sent this woman further into the shame spiral, you know, right. and the bravery to step out of that, you know, and hopefully enlighten her neighbor and make her neighbor a better, you know, a better steward. I think that's really good stuff, you know? I did not have that definition of shame. Like when when I think about shame, um, the fear of being unlovable is not how I thought about it. But when I read it that way, um, I recognized that I definitely, for a decent portion of my life, felt unlovable um, because I was different from a lot of the kids that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't connect with my peers. Mm-hmm. I didn't uh, I didn't value the same things they valued. I was very impatient to grow up and get on with life and I didn't want to participate in in what they were doing because I just didn't feel like I fit in that well. Mm-hmm. And I had an innate awareness that that was unusual. Mm-hmm. And that made me question, well, actually it didn't this is where the this is where the um the the weirdness was because i felt fine about myself mm-hmm. but it seemed but i noticed that it was obvious that the way that i was was unusual but it didn't make me feel bad about myself but it did heighten my awareness of the likelihood stuff and the, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well and it made me feel like there's it's likely that i am difficult to love because i am unusual in this situation gotcha it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't lower my self-esteem of being worthy of love mm-hmm. but i had an acknowledgement that i might be difficult to love right yeah well, in a lot of this book, too, she talks about the feeling of fitting in or the feeling of changing our behavior so that we fit in or, you know, the 
just that feeling of belonging mm-hmm. and that love and belonging are tied together. Those are two concepts that you can't really feel one without the other. And you can't really like self-love comes first and then you can feel like you belong. Like, I think that the shame stuff gets in the way and everything kind of, kind of spirals up when, you know, you're like, okay, am I good enough? Am I, you know, do I, do I work with these people? Does this fit? You know, and, and how do I do it? And I think that that's where all that trickiness comes in. She talks about, um, her breakdown and she, and I like the way she does it. It's cute. Um, she does the, the strike through. Right. Um, she's like the, uh, the great breakdown of 2007 or whatever. And then she'll strike through it and say, you know, my transformation yeah, or whatever. My spiritual awakening. <laughs> yeah, my spiritual awakening <laughs> slash breakdown. You know, um, I mean, I think that there is um, the reason that this resonates and that it feels so familiar to you and to me is because we've kind of had those moments where you have this big growth. And what she talked about there is that I figured out that I wasn't prioritizing the right things in my life and I wasn't living happily. And I wasn't, you know, I, I was really caught up in how to fit in and how to be the best mom who did, you know, the best um, treats on birthdays and, the you know, the best this, this, this. And when I when I got into that mindset where I couldn't quite, you know, reconcile who I wanted to be and the happiness level that I wanted to be with the things that I was prioritizing in my life, that, you know, that's kind of that, that breakdown moment, that moment that you are like, I have to change everything. And she talks about, so I spent a year in intensive therapy. So I did it, you know, like, and I think that as women, especially, sometimes we find this moment. And once you find that moment, you you can never turn back. You, what, did you, what did we say in the beginning? You said you can never unsee. Yeah, once you've seen, you know. Yeah, so. <laughs> once you know, you can't not know it. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. have to do. You have to do something with it. I was gonna try to find this quote, and I, I should have pulled it up. And I'm sorry, I don't have it available. But there's a book called Women Who Run with the Wolves, mm-hmm. and um, there's a really neat quote in it about you know like once you know the woman has put her head down and she's looked ahead and she's broken you know um through that barrier and she's running wild and she's on that path she will fight hard to keep that yes she will never like rein that back in once you've like unleashed that wild part of yourself and that confidence in who you are you never go back and i liked this book i i I alluded to it before that i liked it because i have a a newly teenage daughter Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like a lot of the things in this book are the things that she struggles with or she's going to struggle with through her teen years and maybe even her 20s until you get to a place where you're comfortable with yourself and I think this is a really good book for anybody who isn't quite yet in a place where they're comfortable with who they are like you're talking about you know the those moments where you recognize that you're different that you think a little bit differently that you do things a little bit differently that you didn't fit in I think that young women especially don't realize that someday you will find that place. That place might never be in school, you know, in elementary school or middle school or high school. It might be you find a tribe of women in college. It might be you find in the workplace that you go into because everybody has more similar things. I think that when we're young, like I think back to, oh, my gosh, you know, like, oh, these girls are all, you know, like, they they do all these things and they're they're good at this and we haven't found that group of people who works the same way that we do and Mm -hmm. who thinks the same way that we do when we're in elementary school and Mm -hmm. high school we're in just the broad pool right Right. it's just it's, it's everybody and so there's so much difference 
And there's so much to judge yourself against, Mm -hmm. you know? And when you start to narrow down to who you really are and who you really fit with, it really does get easier, you know? It does. And I I think that once you liberate yourself from, you know, needing to be a certain way and just being who you being who you are, um, you can't go back to caring as much about what other people think. Mm-hmm. But I remember being in elementary school and knowing that, like, I, I remember being in elementary school and observing the other girls and how they acted together and knowing that I have to learn how to do that so because I got to get, like, I got to have friends, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I need to have, you know, people to hang out with. And, you know, I didn't dislike anybody. It was just, right. I had a really hard time understanding why they cared about the things that they cared about. Because mm-hmm. it just, I just didn't care. But I pretended for a long time. And I remember thinking, someday they're going to find out that I don't really care about any of this. And that's part of that shame spiral, too. Uh-huh. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You're like, uh, you're being a fake. Yeah. You know? like I, and it you did know? feel fake. And mm-hmm. it was exhausting. Yeah. You know, to come home after like pretending that like I was like, I got it. And then coming home and being like, oh, God, thank God I can just, you know, be myself again. And it was it was difficult. And I was really glad when that part of my life was over and I was able to connect with people who, um, you know, I just kind of, I don't know, felt like got me a little bit more, you know, and, and listening to this, you know, my friends, some of my friends from that time of my life might feel like I was like, maybe they feel um, like, oh, gosh, I thought we were friends and maybe we weren't friends. No, absolutely. We're friends. I care about all of those people. But I was at a point in my life where I was trying to be um, trying to get through what I knew I needed to do to like act normal so that I could get to a place where I could really self-actualize. And I was in a big hurry to (laughs) self-actualize. I was like, this is not going to happen here. One of the other things that I like um, in this book that she talks about a lot is intuition. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is also something that it takes us some time to find. I think when we're young, we have it and we believe it. And then we get away from it and we get more into like, especially like for myself, I became a scientist, you know, and I became like, science I thought I had to kill my intuition I didn't understand that there could be a balance mm-hmm. you know yet and I think that finding that is really neat too and I like what she um what how she defines that she says intuition is not a single way of knowing it's our ability to hold space for uncertainty and our willingness to trust the many ways we develop knowledge and insight including instinct experience faith and reason mm-hmm. you know so she talks about like we sometimes think that intuition just is the light bulb that comes to us, right? It's the, the gut feeling that it's, it's this, this magical thing, but it's based on all of our prior experiences. It's based on what's worked for us in the past and what hasn't panned out for us well in the past. And that's where our intuition comes from. And sometimes and when we're not in touch with that, we discount these feelings that we know, mm-hmm. you know, that, w- that we know. Um, I have a friend that I had lunch with a few weeks ago that, knew in their heart exactly what they should be doing and it would come out in little snippets of conversation here and there and i'm like do you not trust yourself right do you not hear yourself and listen to yourself and the friend was like i don't i guess i don't you know what i mean like like to me it was so clear looking at this person what their real feelings are and they weren't in touch with them you know what i mean like like they didn't believe themselves 
sometimes I wonder, well, when I when I come across somebody who is really well connected with themselves and they understand themselves well and they have accepted who they are and are now partnering with themselves, um, whether or not that person has been through therapy, because I feel like therapy is so helpful yeah. for everybody. Yeah. It just helps you cut through the bullshit of yourself. Yeah, I, I, I mean... But the nicest comment that I've ever gotten on this show is a friend who told me, she's like, wow, you're really good at like self therapizing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I think you're right. Like when you have that sounding board, you know, when you have that sounding board, it does help you look inside a little bit and be a little more real with it. And I think that it's sometimes it's better to go to a therapist than to a friend. Oh, for sure. Because the therapist has no skin in the game. Right. They don't know the people surrounding in your life. They just give you an opportunity. Really, I think at therapy, you figure more out yourself Mm -hmm. than your therapist does for you. They're just there as a sounding board and a guide. If they're a good therapist. So valuable. I um, have so many people that I know who are afraid to go to therapy because they're of the, of what it, what they're admitting to themselves if they go and or um, what others may think about the fact that they have decided to do that and I I can't I I can't encourage it enough I right. just feel like you're wasting your time if you're not go to therapy and work through this stuff you're going to be so glad you know what's funny i actually um had made myself a note and it's a good transition to it i didn't know if i was going to talk about it but we have talked on the show before about how i have these chats with the universe right and that's basically like therapy without the therapist there you Mm -hmm. know so i kind of will pose a question i type I, I type to myself, mm-hmm. this is not embarrassing for me anymore. Like, this is just, this, this is my process. You know, yeah. if I'm working through something, if I'm working on something, I'll kind of say, like, what do you need? What do you, what do you think you need here? You know? And the other day, about a week or so ago, I had a brief chat with the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yielded some big results. It was really interesting because sometimes I'm not super aware when I'm doing it, you know, of what exactly it is. And I found it the next day. And I was like, oh, I kind of forgot that this even happened. You know, it was like a middle of the night kind of whatever. And um, so I typed something and I'm answered. And late at night, I had this brief conversation. Like I said, genuinely forgot about it. And um, what I had written to myself, what the universe had written to me, what the universe (laughs) had said to me was, you're spending all of your time right now playing but not having fun. You are using play and partying as escape because you are not actually happy. Call and get back into therapy. It's time for a tune-up. That's what I wrote to myself. And I found it the next day, and I was like, oh, that's insightful. (laughs) That's really nice. You know what I mean? Because I kind of have been breaking my own rule to myself recently with like numbing myself to caring about things you know and finding ways to numb myself and being in an avoidant mindset and just sitting down with myself for a visit and checking in allowed me to be like you are engaging in a lot of escape behavior right now and a lot of avoidant behavior right now and it's probably a good idea you know to check in with yourself once in a while. And I encouraged myself to check in with a therapist. And I haven't been to therapy in a couple of years. I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. But when you find this little this little nugget of, huh, maybe you're, maybe you're not in as great a place as you think, just go. Just go talk to someone. It's great. Go do it, people. Yeah. I highly get on the therapy recommend train. it. Highly yeah. recommend it. One thing that I really enjoyed about this book is um, a story that I really resonated with. Um, when she rec- recognized that she was being inauthentic so that she could meet the expectations of others. Right. And 
I've had this experience as well, especially with public speaking. And in this situation, she had she was speaking to a group and they had told her what box to, to stay in. And it was not her box. Like it was not where she does her work. Right. Mm-hmm. And she tried really hard to do that mm-hmm. um, because she had been caught off guard and they told her and she was like, well, OK, She's I guess I have to do this. Trying to please yeah. the client. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what they want. And it was not what she does. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most miserable experiences of her professional life because mm-hmm. she she considered it to just be a failure um and the reason was and because it wasn't well received by the well audience received. and yeah mm-hmm. and i resonated with that because every time that i've had an experience where my words have fallen flat it's because i was trying to impress them mm-hmm. or i was trying to to be who they wanted me to be and i was not being authentic to myself right and it's kind of that same liberation of once you're able to say, that's not what I do. Let me connect you with this other person who does that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then everything becomes easier. Yes. Everything mm-hmm. becomes easier. Yep. When you're doing what you do and what you do well and what you know your wheelhouse is and what you honestly believe, you can't go in and speak change your message on the drop of a dime you know like it's never going to resound with the audience when you when you do something like that when you go in and you try to give them what you think they want and not what you actually do and what your expertise is i noticed feeling a little bit more anxiety after i read some of this book when i was interacting with um some of my friends really yeah i started questioning whether or not i was and I'm putting air quotes around this, like saying the right things, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's I spend a lot of my time doing motivational interviewing and appreciative inquiry and stuff like that, where I ask questions that are designed to dig into ideas um, when I'm working. And then I always wonder whether or not I'm being good to my friends because I know I ask questions in a way that are just like human, mm-hmm. you know, like not very well evolved. And um, I noticed that and decided to just let myself be a clod once in a while. <laughs> and it's very difficult. You're funny. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I hope that people dug into this book. I hope that they found something in it that they really liked. Um, I hope that they... Enjoyed some of the, there's not, I don't know if it's really exercises in it, but it's just points of thought. It's just kind of things to, to think about and things to kind of mull over and figure out, all right, who am I trying to be here in this world? And am I okay with that person? And if I'm not, I need to take some steps to change it, you know? Um, I'm looking forward to finishing it. Yes, I'm looking forward to you finishing it. And I'd love for our um, listeners to give us some comments about what the, how they felt about it and what they liked about it and didn't like about it. And what I'm going to do now is unveil our next book. Okay. All rise for Chrissy's Book Club announcement. So I decided to choose a book that is very, very near and dear to me that I don't believe you have read. Okay. Um, we're going to do Wild. I have 
have read it. Oh, you have? Yes. Wonderful. But it's been a long yeah. time, so yeah. I will take it so back out. So we're going to read Cheryl Strides Wild. It's less, this, our first book here was kind of a self-helpy, you know, style book. Um, it is more of a story book, but it's also a personal journey yeah. and a story of triumph and a very nice, healthy book. And it is, it is the book that changed my trajectory. It is the book that led to the great breakdown of 2017, which was my year for it. Um, it, you know, it was like a very on the cusp thing for me. So this book that we just finished was that the gifts of imperfection was that book for one of my friends mm-hmm. and she was nice enough to give it to me. And I had several friends actually, um, text me over the last couple of weeks that this book, the gifts of imperfection that we just finished was a book that one of my friends said, actually, I would say it saved my life, yeah. which I thought was really, you know, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a good awakening book. I hope that our audience took the time to read it. I hope that they enjoy it. You know, I hope that we get some feedback and some thoughts on our, you know, on the book from our friends. And then next time it'll be wild. Um, we're going to give it about four or five weeks. Okay, good. And then, uh, and then we'll, We'll review Wild, which is a wonderful book by Cheryl Strayed. Um, We'll put a link. Yes, we'll put a link up. Get on the Amazon and order it. It's a fabulous book. Well, I'm thankful to you for um, suggesting this book because I would not have read it um, because of my um, jealousy of (laughs) Brene Brown. (laughs) Um, I would not have read it. I would have stuck up my nose and walked past it. And and I didn't. I read it and I liked it. I really did like it. So I... Um, I highly recommend reading it. So friends, get out there and read. Get out there and have some fun. Get out there and identify your friends in public and don't um, think that they're strangers and ignore them for two hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, just have a wonderful, wonderful week. And um, until next time. Bye. Don't forget to tell them where to find us. Yeah, tell us what you learned. We're on all the things. For those of you looking to increase your dosage, connect with Chrissy and Heather on Facebook and Instagram and tell us how you do life. Visit ChrissyandHeather.com. That's with a C-H-R-Y-S-S-Y. Like, share, and subscribe. And tell everyone you know. Until next time.